We are living in an age of anxiety. I'm not telling you anything you don't already know, but we are smack dab in the middle of a time when anxiety is off the chart. And when I say we are living in a time of anxiety, I'm not just talking about adults who have to pay bills and ferry kids back and forth or care for their aging parents or work. I'm talking about youth and children as well. According to the data from the National Institute of Mental Health, 38% of girls 13 to 17, 38% of teenage girls, and 26% of teenage boys have an anxiety disorder. Think about that for a minute. On college campuses across the country, anxiety has surpassed depression as the leading mental health concern. All of us are more anxious today than we were a few years ago. Something isn't right. We are living in a time when people, even children, feel more stressed, less connected, and more anxious than they ever have before. And I wonder if we are We find ourselves living in this age of anxiety because we are living in a time of great distraction. Let's take a moment to consider all the distractions, both good and bad, that we face in a typical day. Let's start with the obvious one, push notifications that arrive on your phone, causing it to make all kinds of sounds in the worst possible places. That's one thing. Then there's email. Does anybody love email? If I come to work at 8 o'clock and I check my email in the morning, which I typically do, I wait till lunch to check it again, I'm at 50, 60, 70 emails in three or four hours. And that's just my work email. There's email from family, emails from friends. I apologize, but emails from organizations like us who are reaching out to you and... Plan. Don't worry. <laughs> Even beautiful things can distract us. So where in the world was I? Oh, yeah. Let's keep going. Distractions happen, right? Let's look at our phones for a second. I'm going to bet if I asked most of you, you sleep next to your phone. Studies would say that your phone is within arm's reach of you at bed at night. And studies would also say that your phone is the last thing you check at night and the first thing you check in the morning, even if you're married and sharing that bed with somebody else. Did you know we spend, by we I mean American adults, we spend one hour and 45 minutes a day consuming media on our phones. One hour, 45 minutes a day consuming media on our phones. We are immersed in a 24-hour news cycle that is never-ending. With so much breaking news, you wonder when and if the news itself will actually break. Our president's favorite form of communication is the anxiety-producing and news-altering 3 a.m. tweet, and the headlines that bombard us each and every day are getting more and more apocalyptic. I mean, just this past week, 
The unthinkable happened. And it's going to happen again soon. There are so many distractions that come at us from every angle as we try to navigate our life. On top of all that, I'm going to keep going. Did you know the average American watches five hours of TV a day? Five hours a day the TV is on in an American home. That's 300 minutes of imagery and sounds and noise going through our brains, most of which we'd rather forget unless you're binge-watching your favorite Netflix show. Unless you think all this TV watching is a problem of young people, those young people today, if you're over 50, you watch more TV than those 49 and under. We are bombarded with media every single day. And I haven't even talked about the stuff that distracts us, that should distract us, that should knock us off our rocker a little bit and get us to pay attention, like the growing disparity between rich and poor, mass incarceration, the escalating gun violence in our nation, and the further fracturing of our nation's, nation's unity. No wonder the average American consumes 10 hours and 45 minutes of media a day. We are so easily distracted. We allow these distractions to happen because we have so much we long to be distracted from. Of course, let's be honest, the primary reason, the primary purpose of all this media you consume each and every day is not primarily to entertain you, although it might. Your favorite TV program, your preferred social media platform, that app you read each and every day, it is simply a vehicle for advertisements, a way of making us want to buy something, to have more of someone, to take hold of some idea or concept, which takes us back, I think, to the teaching today from Jesus. Therefore, he says, I tell you, and he's talking to his disciples, to those who bought in what he has to say, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, about your body, drinking. Don't worry about that. That's what the Gentiles, they worry about those things. Your father knows you need those things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, right before this now famous passage on worrying, Jesus teaches his followers that they can't serve God and wealth. They can't follow him, but also follow the checkbook, which puts the entire passage into its proper context, because let's be real for a moment here. All of us, I don't care if you're a man or a woman, all of us engage in a little retail therapy when we're feeling anxious and worried and afraid. Food. Shoes, what is with the shoes? <laughs> Pornography, alcohol, drugs, endorphins, clothes. We have all kept the economy rolling by worrying about our life and our next meal and our next hit and our next buzz and our next outfit and our next workout. We live in an age of anxiety, I believe, because we live in a time of great distraction. And to make matters worse, it appears that we are built, our DNA is set up to be distracted. Author Colson Whitehead wisely observed when he said, I can't blame modern technology for my predilection for distraction. Not after all the hours I spent watching lost balloons disappear into the clouds. I did this before the internet, 
and I'll do it after the apocalypse, assuming we still have helium and weak-gripped children. We are built, it's in our DNA, to be distracted, to notice what has changed, what is different, to hear the noise, to recognize the beauty, to grieve the loss, to feel the pain. But when those distractions lead to worry and anxiety and consume us, we quickly lose our way. So what are we to do? How do we deal with the anxiety, all the worry in a world that is designed to feed off our fear, in a world that's designed to give us distractions to avoid what we're feeling inside? The temptation, I think, from observation in my own personal experience is to try to embrace it. When in Rome, do like the Romans, right? So we try to convince ourselves that we can manage the distractions. We can participate but not participate fully to build up a resistance, in a sense, to all the noise and sounds. This is why I think we've learned to tolerate minor intrusions that even 10 years ago we would never have considered. Intrusions like phones at the dinner table or the TV being on in the background when you're talking to someone else or text messaging in the car and that subtle but obvious erosion between the boundaries of my private life and my work life. Who hasn't taken a call from someone at work when your kid needs you. Of course, the irony is the more distractions we have, the more distractions we invite into our lives, the more stressed we become because we have no sense of focus or peace, which leads to us seeking out more distractions, the distractions of our preferred choice, which of course leads to more stress, and the cycle goes on and on and on. You may know the story, but when Tiger Woods was a young man, young person, like six or seven or eight years old, He was playing a lot of golf, and Tiger Woods' father would stand behind him at the tee box and at the top of his backswing yell out curse words or scream at the top of his lungs to teach Tiger to ignore the distractions and hit the golf ball. When he was putting as a green, as a little kid, he'd be squaring over the ball and his father would drop his bag of clubs, causing all kinds of noise and distractions so Tiger would stay focused on the putt. And it worked. He built up a resistance to distractions. Tiger Woods got really good at golf. I mean, really good at golf. But as time has revealed, Tiger Woods really struggles with life. Despite being number seven on Forbes' list of Americans' most wealthiest celebrities, with an average net worth, an estimated net worth of $740 million. With all that, he still struggles with all of this. So what are we to do? How do we deal with our anxieties in a world designed to feed off our fears and our worries? Well, as it a very important aside, let me step aside for a second and say this very clearly. If you deal with anxiety in a way that overwhelms you, if you wake up in the morning and you feel choked with fear, get help. Get help. There is no shame in talking to your doctor about anti-anxiety medication. There is no shame in paying a lot of money for a good therapist. There are times when we do get overwhelmed. Everybody needs help from time to time. There is no shame in taking medication. If you have diabetes, you're going to take insulin. No questions asked. So get help. Aside from medication, there are some practical things you can do to lower your anxiety and limit all the distractions. You know most of these things. They're in the magazine Real Simple. 
the one in the checkout line where everything costs a lot of money. Being simple, it appears, is very expensive. But you've read these things in magazines and grocery store lines. Turn off your phones at night. I mean, turn them off, literally off. Schedule. Set up a schedule when you check email and when you don't. It'll be there when you get back. Spend less time on Facebook. Less time on social media. Science is clear on this one. Become less consumed with all the likes and affirmation. Schedule time with people you love device-free. It's terrifying, but try it. Watch less news. Still watch it. Just watch less. And give. Give generously to causes and things you care about. Feel like you're making a difference. Use your resources in a positive way. All these things have been scientifically proven to lower your anxiety, and I believe they do that because they minimize all the distraction. They provide us a focus and a clarity. So there are practical things you can do. But willpower will never be enough. Because the more you limit all the distractions, I found this in the past few years I've been taking on meditation, and I thought, oh, sweet, I'm going to meditate and I'm going to get more calm. The strange thing happened when I silenced myself. When I sat in silence and listened, things got really loud. All that anxiety and worry and fear I'd put away or hidden amidst all the cacophony of sounds rose up. Which is why we have to replace our favorite strategy for dealing with our anxiety and worry with something else. Several years ago, I was at a friend's house before I had children, and I was witnessing their parenting, taking notes as new parents tend to do, what works and doesn't work. We're all experts before we have kids. They did something that I want to pass on to you as a gift, a strategy that worked wonderfully. The kids were screaming. There's three kids. They were screaming at the table, yelling at each other. I don't even remember what they were yelling about. The mother and father had this glazed look in her eyes, their eyes, and then the mother smiled, looked out the window, and yelled at the top of her lungs, Look, it's there, the monkey! The monkey's back in the backyard! Look, the monkey is back! Fancy way of yelling, Squirrel! Where, Mommy? All the kids stopped yelling. Where, Mommy? Where's the squirrel? Where? Where? It's out there in the backyard. Look, look. It's out in the backyard. Where, Mommy? By the tree in the back. You see it? You see it? I think I do. Oh, I'm so sorry, kids. The monkey's gone. The monkey's gone. The kids were all sad for a moment, turned back to the table, started eating the meal, completely forgetting the argument that had consumed them 30 seconds before. The best way I have found to manage my anxiety and to help others manage their anxiety is to let myself be distracted. Just not by the things we normally let ourselves be distracted by. I think the best way to manage our anxiety is to let ourselves be distracted by God. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body or what you will wear, for it's the Gentiles who worry about those things, and your Father knows you need them. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Strive for God's realm and God's righteousness. What's this mean? A few weeks ago, we talked about the idea of replacing the word righteousness whenever you see it or hear it with the words right relationship. So striving for a right relationship here might be a better way of seeing this. We also talked that same Sunday about 
the reality that God's kingdom is not something we wait for or it's already come. It's something that's here now. It's present among us. Which means that striving for God's realm and God's righteousness means striving for God right where you are amidst all the distractions and worries that define your life. It means letting God from time to time distract you from what you think is important so you might notice what is important. So you can connect with what God is doing right now in your life. Because I'm telling you, God is in your life every day doing stuff all the time. I believe that with all of my being. We just don't look for it. This means letting God distract you, take you off course, disrupt your plans at work, at home, and even at church. It means letting God rewire your brain to give you new ways to manage that worry and anxiety. It means trusting your whole life today to God. I think worrying is so lethal to thriving because all worrying really is is a failure to be present to the moment we're in. And Jesus teaches us to be fully present to the moment we're in because that is where God is, always. God does not reside in the past. God does not wait for us in the future. The only place where you can experience God is now. That's it. Right now. This is where God is working in your life. I follow author Seth Godin, and he likes to give little tips to people about business, actually, but I find him very helpful in terms of faith development as well. One practice he gives us is something I'd like to pass along to you this morning. You can try this this week, see if it works for you. He invites people to make two lists. One list, on one list, we are to identify, to write down all of our grievances, our disrespects, and our bad breaks. Write down the names of people who don't like you for no good reason. Write down all the deals that went wrong, the unfair expectations placed upon you, bad situations, unfortunate outcomes, unfairness in general. Write it all down. He says, make that list as real and legitimate as possible. Don't hold back. On the other list, though, he tells us to write down all of our privileges, all the advantages and opportunities we have, the places where we get the benefit of the doubt, the leverage and momentum we have, the things we see that other people don't see, what's working in your life and what has worked, the resources you can tap into, the things you know, the people you trust and love, who trust and love you. After you write both lists, he says, take one list and put it in the drawer. Take the other list and put it on your bathroom mirror. Read the list in the drawer once a month or once a year, just to remind you that it's there and it's real and it's safe and it's sound. Read the other list, the one in the mirror, every single day. The daily list, the one on the mirror, will determine what you notice, how you interpret what you see, and story you tell yourself about what's happening and what's going to happen. The good news is that you get to pick which list goes in the drawer, and which list goes on the mirror. You get to decide what's going to distract you. Emerson once wrote, at times the whole world seems to be in conspiracy to importune you with emphatic trifles. Love that language. Friend, client, child, sickness, fear, want, charity, all knock at once at thy closet door and say, come out unto us. But keep thy state, come not into their confusion, 
The power men possess to annoy me, I give them by a weak curiosity. No man can come near me but through my act. Given all the uncertainties of life, all the uncertainties in our world right now, it is completely understandable for all of us to feel a deep sense of anxiety and despair and fear and uncertainty. But we can't forget we're God's people, and this is God's creation. And we have been given real power, not to remove all the distractions, that's naive, but we have been given power to decide what will distract us. We have the power to let ourselves be distracted by God, to see where God is nudging us and guiding us and imploring us to go, to open ourselves up each and every day to God's activity, to God's loving care. God is eager to disrupt you and pester you and distract you, to remind you who you are and to whom you belong. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. Stop it or what you will eat, or what you will drink, or about your body, or what you will wear. Strive for the kingdom of God and God's righteousness. Strive for a right relationship with your creator. And all these things will be given to you as well. Now, this is not a promise of prosperity. This is a promise of peace. Lasting peace. Amen.